And welcome everybody to this week's edition of Freightonomics. I am Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence here at Freightways, and with me as always is as always. Uh, wait, <laughs> you're not Anthony. Nah. Um, no, we got Kaylee Nix subbing uh, for Anthony. Finally got him canceled. You know, he's been coming at me for so long. It's, it's you know, a little bit of bite back here. There's been some tension yeah. in the studio. I feel like the last like maybe six months between you guys, Anthony's six Anthony months, started economy years. lately. <laughs> he got like kind of big for his britches and he's predicting things that ended up happening with the economy, almost like he's got a degree in economics or something. We got Cancel a, Anthony. We got to check him every now and again. No, he's out in Portland uh, doing the Lord's work out there this week, talking about trees mm -hmm. and the economics of those things uh, that sometimes impact our economy. So uh, he is on his way back, of course, today. But Kaylee, thank you for stepping in today. Today's show, of course, is going to be a little different mm -hmm. because we have a unique perspective. And I'm actually extremely excited to get a different perspective from uh, the other guy that's normally on here. Uh, you know, talking about his macroeconomic indicators. And I whatnot. promise I'll be a little bit less feisty than Anthony is, but I'm also, I'm also excited to be here because I get to let you take the lead a little bit and I get to just like kind of follow along with your show. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is actually your arena naturally. And so I'm, I'm actually the imposter here. So we'll, we'll see how this works out. It's, it's going to be good either way. Yeah, we've got a lot to cover today. Mm -hmm. uh, the world is very chaotic. And Kaylee is, you're sort of an outsider. I don't want to call you yeah. an outsider, but. I would still consider myself an outsider to the freight world, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I've broken through the mm -hmm. barrier, but I'm still trying to have to ask people who know more than me the stupid questions well, every I mean, single day. You know a lot more than I ever did when I was at your, in your position. So uh, it'll be interesting to get your take on some things. And of course, we're going to cover those mm -hmm. from, hopefully from your perspective, yeah. kind of bring it into how can we, kind of digest some of this complicated stuff. So, but first off, I don't know if you've been watching lately, Kaylee, but always we do the market in two because uh, I got to give the people their month or their weekly market update. Uh, so we'll start that off here in just a second. Do you want to count me in? Anthony only counts me in with a little three, two, one. Yep. I will go three, two, one. All right, let's do it. So first up, we have our CLAV. This is the Contract Load Accepted Volume Index. And this is a measure of the accepted tender volumes. Uh, and the big takeaway here is that from a two years ago, we're actually dead even. Uh, so a very elevated economic environment. We, we had the pandemic uh, demand really, you know, already in place. And we're only about six to seven percent off of last year. So for me, this means that we are simply still at a relatively high demand side environment. Mm -hmm. May not feel like it from the spot market side, but it's going to be the index to watch because economically speaking, uh, there's a lot of signs that this index still has a lot of room to fall. And when that does happen, if it does happen, uh, that's when things truly may become more uncertain and chaotic. So next chart here, uh, speaking of spot rates, the NTI versus NTIL. So one has fuel included, that white line up there, and the green line down there does not. And the reason we take out fuel is to try to eliminate the influence of a volatile fuel commodity, which as we, you know, anybody that watches it knows that diesel prices fluctuate dramatically, and they have so over the past six months or so. And there's not a big difference in direction here. So the takeaway for me is that we are in a very flat market. Uh, you know, I talked about it last week. Labor Day really wasn't a thing. We normally see a bit of a spike in spot market activity. Did not happen. Uh, this could portend a muted peak. And last but not least, let's go to the last chart. This is, I always kind of try to leave with a big takeaway uh, with a Votri versus Rotri versus Votri. So Votri 
ban outbound tender rejection index there in the white line, not interesting at all, <laughs> flat to down. But look at that reefer outbound tender rejection index in green. It's starting to show an uptick there. Uh, and then, of course, flatbed was falling, and now it's not. So the two other modes showing some signs of life as capacity tightens for refrigerated slightly, and van or flatbed doesn't fall as dramatically. I've got to say, best two minutes that I've seen on Freightonomics in a while. That was a good one. I, I kind of like Fotry. I'm going to take Anthony's <laughs> side of things and say that I also kind of like Fotry. I think that it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, the flatbed indicators, I mean, that that's very heavily tied, you know, the lumber and mm -hmm. the manufacturing, industrial and construction, uh, of course, a thing. And the housing market, as Anthony actually wrote about in his Daily Watch, mm -hmm. he, 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 I think we talked about it at our event. You know, he, I basically said, hey, Anthony, is the housing market, you know, boom or a bubble? Uh, and he was like, absolutely a bubble. I think yeah. it was the only economic sector that he was like, absolute bubble. <laughs> well, um, there you go, Anthony. I hope I did you a little bit of justice <laughs> with your shout out of Fotry. Yeah, Fotry. Gotta have, gotta have the Fotry represented all the time. So, all right. Now, everybody, the people have their market update for the week. There we uh, go. Very flat. I, I don't want to call it uninteresting because there is a little bit of, you know, nuance to yeah. it in that reefer and, and flatbed side. So a little bit of uptick there, but... Do we get to a point where it becomes more exciting in the next maybe few weeks, do you think? We might. And we're going to get to something that your speciality is <laughs> uh, that I think, and I, I'm going to go ahead and tease it out. You're a meteorologist. Yes. And people that know me know that I am a, I don't know, secret weather nerd. Closet weather nerd? Closet weather nerd. I don't nerd. even think it's it's like closet yeah, weather nerd at this I'm point. Out. If you know what an eyewall <laughs> replacement cycle means, you, yeah. you're not a closet weather nerd. You know. Yeah. I mean, I did kind of pretend to be a meteorologist <laughs> at times on Freightways now in the early days uh, when uh, when our meteorologist wasn't around, I would kind of just go up there and point. But that's okay. We're going to get to that a little bit. Of course, we know we've got a category for hurricane. I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on if this was the overactive hurricane season that wasn't considering that we're past climatological peak and we're only barely oh. on the G storm. So oh. we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. I want to get to that for sure. So we've got some stories though that, that have come out over the last week that mm -hmm. I want to discuss with you. And I want to get your take on a few of these. Now, one of them, uh, of course, the first story in our, in our list here is shippers think a little less of 3PL's value. Mm -hmm. amid supply chain volatility. Now you get to interview <laughs> and talk to a lot of people on the shipping side mm -hmm. of things, as well as the brokers and the carriers, but, and also the technology right. side. And one of the big takeaways for me from this, this piece was shippers really expected their 3PLs to be heavy into tech. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts here? What's your takeaway? Do you, are you surprised by this at all? Or do you think that it's a kind of just a consequence of all the chaos that we had in, in the pandemic. I think it's a really interesting take for a shipper to say, hey, you've got this 3PL who, for the most part, a lot of these 3PLs value their business on relationship building, right? Like that is their value prop when you sit here is that we're in the business of shaking hands between your shipper and your carrier and making things run smoothly. That way, you as a shipper can think about your other aspects of your business. And I think that it's it's kind of unfair to say as a shipper, you know what, we, we don't, value the value that you're giving us, <laughs> right. you know? Right. And I, I definitely get that. The last two years were times that were ripe for technological innovation. Mm -hmm. We talk about it all the time with folks. If you didn't get on the boat of freight tech in the last two years, you're swimming without a life jacket at this point, right? right. And it's only, it's only a matter of time before you can't see the boat anymore. So if you're a 3PL and you haven't made that tech innovation, that could be the reason mm -hmm. why your shippers may be losing a little bit of faith in you because they're sitting there and they're looking and they're saying, okay, you didn't innovate when the market was giving you an opportunity to innovate. Yeah. What makes us think that you're going to support us through innovation through tough times that are 
eventually coming. Yeah, right. And, you know, <laughs> just like any company, you get to a certain level of comfortability and mm -hmm. you kind of stall out. And sometimes it's just the nature of scaling. Right. Uh, you know, an investment and things like that. Your infrastructure actually starts to inhibit your growth at a certain point because you, you've committed to a certain direction. Um, and I think that, you know, some of these shippers also kind of were expecting a better return on their investment during the pandemic, which arguably may or may not been a, have been attainable. So a very I, interesting piece. I absolutely agree with that. And then one more thing to that point is that you get comfortable and when you get comfortable, you stop growing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of that make or break moment for a lot of 3PLs too, is do you want to be okay with being a little bit stressed, a little, a little kind of on the edge and grow? Or do you want to sit there and be comfortable and say, you know what, we're just happy where we are and then get left behind. Yeah. And, 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 and this environment, I, you, almost can't. Mm -hmm. You can't just find a nice little plateau. You're expected to grow infinitely Keep for pushing. always. There you go. <laughs> and, and it's hard to, uh, to kind of even stabilize in that environment. So the next story, uh, Cowan analyst, Cohen analyst, uh, sees rougher road ahead for trucking. Now, Tony Mulvey addressed this earlier with Kevin Hill on the spot, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because <laughs> my response here is, duh. Yes. <laughs> um, Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you've been watching any of our stuff, uh, you would have seen this. Everything that was said here, uh, we've been talking about it for months now. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, too, a little bit of the takeaway here, like he does point out some really good things about the industrial sector kind of having a tail to it. And that's starting to show signs of easing, uh, which is, again, a, a very relevant point um, to make. But I, I think, too, the fact that we still have further that we could fall right. is also a good takeaway. So with that, with kind of the news about the industrial sector, pu pulling a little bit of Anthony out mm -hmm. of this, where does labor fall into this with you? We obviously know that the Great Resignation happened. We see a lot of folks who moved kind of from these more strenuous labor-skilled jobs into maybe a comfier office job, maybe someplace where they're not on their feet, where they're not having to work manually with this physical labor. And those jobs are kind of undesirable because they haven't necessarily followed that same trajectory of increased wages, increased benefits, like these more kind of office jobs, corporate right. standard jobs are. Do you think that that's playing a role in this at all? No, 100%. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but at the same time, I think, uh, you know, we've talked about it uh, a lot in the way that there's still a lot of congestion. Mm -hmm. um, there's still like a lot of these manufacturers still don't have a lot of the pieces they need, you know, right. even though there's been supply chain easing. And some of that has flowed through. The ports are obviously a big uh, thing that we watch here that haven't fully recognized the downturn. Uh, and that's simply due to the fact that there's been so much congestion around the ports. The containers are piled up. Uh, the port throughput isn't as strong uh, on the East Coast as it is on the West Coast. We saw a bunch no of shippers. No one could have seen that coming, right? <laughs> oh, let's move all of our freight to the East Coast. And, and it just takes a lot of time for the ship to kind of steer and course correct. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're still dealing with a lot of congestion there. And I think that's actually part of the things that are propping some of our activity right now, kind of artificially so. Right. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, I'm not certainly not throwing any any shade at, at Seidel <laughs> in, his, in his direction. He's doing exactly what he needs to do. And I, I kudos to him for that. But for uh, those of us in the know, it's kind of like, yeah. It's like, yeah, we, we expected we, this. We saw it coming and it, it'll get worse before it gets better. Yeah, probably so. Um, next door, container spot rates fall much steeper and less orderly than expected. Now, I got to ask you this one, Mike. You, you again, I, I'm calling you an outsider to an extent, <laughs> but I know that you, you see this stuff all the time. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts here? 
I've got to say, do you ever expect an, a fall to be orderly? <laughs> Especially a fall from what, what I would like to call, like I would call the last two years kind of this false peak, right? Yeah. Like we were, we were propped up on stacks of toilet paper. Let's say it like that, right? <laughs> and as soon as you see those events that cause that false peak to happen, come out from underneath you, it's going to take a tumble. And you can't say that any type of fall from an inflated situation, any type of fall from a, a falsely propped up situation is going to be orderly. So I think it's unfair to assign surprise to that, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 100%. <laughs> I don't need to add anything to that. It's kind of like, how do you expect uh, what we've been through to end any other way but chaotic? Absolutely. <laughs> the the buildup to it was chaotic. Of course, yeah. on the opposite side, it's, it's chaotic. Equal and opposite reactions. So, I mean, they're... They it's have, physics. They have positions that for analysts in the in the maritime sector. I think you could probably. I'm going to take. The, I'm going to set this one out. I'll, <laughs> I'll hand this over to to the other people that know way more about this than I do. No, I. I mean, I. But you you nailed it. I think that was <laughs> that was as good as I could have done, or anybody in the space. I think could have could have called it like, not going to be orderly people. Let's let's move on. Yeah. All right. AB five. California doesn't want OIDA allowed into the next steps of I've got the some hot case. takes on this one. Okay. I'm so. going gonna, gonna to let you ride because you interviewed a person we, this morning we, on Freightways Now. We sat down with Bryce Bonjean, who's their director of legislative affairs at OIDA. And so with this story, we know that AB5 is, is law now. The injunction's been removed against it. California Trucking Association is still fighting it. They have been fighting it since 2020 when that mm -hmm. law was officially or was, was first to take effect, right? Mm -hmm. OIDA is sitting out here saying, as a national organization, we should have some say in the fight against this. And the courts in California are saying, hold up, wait, you came too late to the party and we're not going to let you in. But Owain is sitting here saying, you know what, we have a role in this because this is a real threat. A law like AB5, passing the ABC test, is something that could threaten the livelihoods of other workers on a different state-by-state -state scale. Illinois thinking about passing a law like this. Vermont thinking about passing a law like this. New Jersey thinking about passing a law like this. Places where traditionally they are a little bit more liberal with their values. They're blue states. They're Just blue, call it okay. what it is. They're They're blue, blue states. states. <laughs> and people that you would think would be pro-labor. Mm -hmm. But there's still no clear indication of how these laws affect the people at the at the core. Yeah. Because there has been no clarity left on it. So the folks in California, the courts in California are telling Owida, we're sorry, you can't be here to talk about this discussion. You can't be it. You can't be in the discussion at all. And they're just sitting there saying, we need to talk about how, one, our commerce is interstate. Our drivers in California don't just stop operating when they hit that border. They're going state to state. So it does affect true national interstate commerce. Uh, yeah. I, uh, my, my take on this is, why is our system supporting a football-style match in terms of win-loss? When yes. we should be saying, you know, OIDA is a respected organization, a group of individuals that represent a this very specific sector that is extremely relevant mm -hmm. to this case. And you're citing some sort of technicality over, you know, timeliness. And yet, you know, one of the laws here or one of the rules and how they're probably going to get in uh, to being an intervener, if you will, and certainly read the article. It's very good. Uh, John Kingston, of course, been covering this quite a bit. Um, basically, you can become an intervener or a participant in the suit. Uh, if you... Uh, have a significantly protectable interest. Owner operators. Owner operators. And the resolution of the case could impair or impede the potential intervener's ability to protect that interest. Owner operators at a national level. I'm sorry, but this is this is so straightforward to me. And it it's upsetting to read things like this where 
you're you're kind of avoiding the pursuit of the truth right. and accuracy and relevance over technical, you know, bureaucratic interpretations things. of things that are written. The point that Bryce made this morning, which if you missed that interview, you can head it on over to tv.freightwaves.com and find it clipped. It'll be on our YouTube channel as well, was that it's going to take someone to take the fall for this first and shake out the impacts in court for them mm-hmm. to put some clarity behind it. Because at this point, no one has offered up clarity of how they're going to enforce the law of other than that that ABC test, what they're going to use to really make the determination and who will be at fault if it's the yeah. individual owner operator, if it's the company that they're working for, if it's the carrier that they're leased to, there's still no clarity on who takes the blame. And so as Michael Vincent put it, someone's going to have to light the first firework mm-hmm. to figure out who gets blown up in this situation. Yeah. And, and, and here's going to be my voice of reason objectivity here. There are two sides to this. And there are arguments for both sides. Mm -hmm. And the answer is not as simple as on and off. And as are most issues (laughs) that we have been almost trained as society to view everything as a yes or a no, a one or a zero, (laughs) because that's not binary. (laughs) Yeah, that's how our simple minds like to think of things is this black and white scenario. It's the easiest way for us to evaluate complex things Mm -hmm. is to turn it into a two you know, path road. Uh, this one has some complexity to it, as most things do. And these sides could potentially just get together right. and stop playing this win-loss situation in the courts, which everybody loses, right. <laughs> you know, in my opinion. So the other big topic of the week, and we've talked about this, and Rachel Premack and just I talked about a great article. If you don't follow, read Rachel Premack, I highly recommend. Uh, fantastic. Came from Business Insider. Uh, wonderful uh, journalist here. Uh, just covered this. I talked to her a lot about it this mm-hmm. week. The FedEx situation. And it is, it, it's truly a situation. You yeah. can't just call it one thing. It, it's a situation <laughs> at FedEx right now. Yeah. And Mark Solomon, of course, has, has written this article. We talked about it earlier in the week on Freightways Now. We had Satish Jindal mm-hmm. uh, on. Uh, but the situation is this. <laughs> FedEx before their earnings, <laughs> which are the, this evening, yes, have come out and said, expect a pretty bad report, specifically on their FedEx Express segment, right. which is the international segment, not the domestic one. It's important. I know that like, you know, one of the things to take away from this is that it's not the entirety of FedEx. <laughs> it's it just is, a decent chunk. It's a decent chunk. It's their largest sector, but it's the one that doesn't involve, in terms of revenue, right. it's the biggest sector. It's not necessarily operationally right. the biggest one. Uh, FedEx Express, of course, the air cargo se- uh, sector, uh, largely international, uh, Asia, Europe, et cetera. And they're saying $500 million shortfall. <laughs> like, Yikes. I mean, FedEx is multi-billion dollar corporation, right. but $500 million is $500 million. And it's and I, a big deal. So they, they made this announcement earlier in the week. Their stock took, I think it was a 24% hit yep. in after hours trading, mm-hmm. after the market closed. Their biggest loss, I think, ever, or their biggest yep. one day loss as, as a company. And this kind of leaves us sitting here begging the question, one, what do we hear in earnings tonight? Is this truly going to be this shocking? And two, FedEx sits atop of our list of top 104 higher carriers. Of course, they're number one. <laughs> UPS, their direct competition, falling number two. So my question in all of this, this is probably a question to ask Mark, Rachel, and also you, does this knock them off that <laughs> top spot? Because if you're a shipper and you're sitting here and you're saying FedEx, who is traditionally very a tight-lipped company, they don't like to say a whole lot. They don't like to come out unless something like this is going on. For and they're reason. saying, yeah, for good reason, as they should be. We've got little fires burning. As a shipper, you know that that means that they've got mm-hmm 
bigger fires burning up everywhere that they're not talking about. Yeah. Uh, And I I don't know the answer to that question yet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We got to wait on UPS. We got to wait on DHL. (laughs) We got to wait on a few things because FedEx, I think, has become kind of a casualty of their own reporting situation. Right. They have weird quarters. <laughs> uh, yeah, coming out of their first fiscal year, it's 2023 now for yeah. the way that they're calendarized. They just things. started 2023. So they're ahead of the curve for us. So we're going to have to wait for UP. No, <laughs> but the way that their reporting cycle goes, it's very off cycle for most of the other mm-hmm. uh, companies. So they're catching, and I, I think they actually caught one of the worst transitionary periods. Right. Uh, in this cycle of their earnings because their their quarter started June 1st <laughs> and it just ended in August. Yep. It's a very weird cycle. Now, if you look at air cargo rates and the air cargo situation, specifically in Europe and Asia, there was a huge transitory period this spring where it almost fell off a cliff in May. <laughs> so their fourth quarter, which was uh, March, April, May. Right. <laughs> Gotta caught, think about it. Caught a pretty high peak. <laughs> Yeah. That was actually the peak of Air Cargo. Uh, and June, July, August was actually a collapse in that side. And we're actually continuing to see a collapse. Steady fall, yep. In that side. Sonar users will look at the Freitos uh, Global, FAX.GLBL, to look at this one. I meant to pull it up for the show, but I forgot. <laughs> um, but you'll see it. And it's a 12 to 13% quarterly drop on average. And for a company the size of FedEx, there's you just can't, you can't maneuver quickly enough. Yep. You can't see it coming. And you this can't is something. Get out of the way. Yeah, this is something to keep in mind for everyone. Because when we look, and I want to pull up something because the Fed rate thing uh, that just happened, if we can get that Fed versus OTBI chart up here, it kind of does a good job of showing uh, the volatility that we're dealing with. Uh, the Fed rate there in the white line mm-hmm. dropped to start COVID. OTBI, truckload demand, spiked. Now the, we're doing the exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> you can see at the end there, the Fed rate is now skyrocketing. Tender volumes, freight demand are falling dramatically. Mike Vincent and I talked about this this morning. This type of environment where you have these plateaus and sharp turns, like you're talking about a stable, actually, 2020 into 2020, early 2022 right. environment. And all of a sudden, it just changes over the course of a month or and two. And it's not good for a giant company like FedEx. <laughs> you build your infrastructure up. <laughs> It takes a long time to change and maneuver. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And so that's the big takeaway there is watch for more of this. The bigger you are, the harder it is to adapt to this type of volatile environment. So sometimes being small is just a little bit advantageous. Yeah. Zach, I know that you want to talk weather before we get out of here. We've got about three minutes left. And so let's let's just go right into it. Let me lead this in. Let me lead it because this is your time right here. So we've got hurricanes in in the Atlantic. And anybody in the trucking sector, freight sector knows hurricanes can be the single most disruptive event of the year. Right. (laughs) Um, We have had a relatively slow tropical season in the Atlantic uh, due to some upper level uh, disruption uh, factors with the dust layer and wind shear, et cetera. But we've got one. Right. That I think has the potential of being a pretty significant storm. And so we talk, we've been talking about Fiona. That's getting, she's getting all the spotlight right now because Category 4 storm, first major hurricane of the year. But for the most part, other than the impacts to Puerto Rico and the Dominican, this has been a sea storm. It's been out to sea. It's a forecast to stay that way until it impacts northern parts of Canada. What we're really interested in watching, though, is what's going on just off of the coast of Venezuela. It doesn't even look like anything. It looks like a bunch of noise. It looks messy, (laughs) which is the the crazy part about this. So Invest 98L, 90% chance of tropical formation right now. The thing that's going to be really important to watch is you look over the Caribbean Sea, 
there's nothing there. Yeah. You've got no thunderstorms. You've got no wind shear. What you do have is sea surface temperatures that are bathwater right now. 88 degrees. And this is a really deep. unique environment. Yes. Right now, we normally have not gotten this far in the season without disruption in the Gulf right. that stirs up the seawater. Exactly. At least some, to some extent. So... Model consensus for this is honestly still all over the place for 98L because there hasn't been any formation yet of a true central circulation. It's kind of this cluster of thunderstorms that's really having a hard time getting off that coast. Yeah. But once it does, it's going to blow up like dynamite. You've got warm sea surface temperatures and no upper level disruptance. To, like the ingredients are there for this thing to literally right. blow up. <laughs> exactly. And so we're still looking like at least seven to eight days out before movement even into the Gulf of Mexico. But again, once it gets into the Gulf of Mexico, warm sea surface temperatures, and what we're, we're seeing this kind of change in the upper level pattern here over mainland United States, mm-hmm. which could be unfavorable for yeah. a storm that does enter the Gulf. Yeah, and of course, the target area looks like it could, it's probably going to hit land, yes. more than likely. The question is where And it's it <laughs> very broad right now. So yeah. far, we can, we can talk anywhere from Big Bend to Texas through the panhandle of Florida. Yeah. Several, watch out <laughs> but several days to iron out those details yeah. so yeah. Don't, we don't need to panic yet but maybe start just making some slight preparations yeah it, 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 i mean these storms hurricane harvey yeah in 2017 literally destroyed the freight market mm-hmm. we're not that far away from going back into chaos is the point <laughs> and chaos abounds us always i mean but stability abounds on youtube and tv.freightwaves.com yeah, where you can see us, us stability will be here next week too when anthony's back <laughs> y'all have a great week